Hello, everyone. Welcome to BTEC Philosophers, mm-hmm. episode 53, with me, Elliot Steele. Michael Oduwale, I thought you were doing it for me, bro. You threw me off. You can see we got the chemistry already. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> He's fucking got, nailing it. we got someone who's created one of Britain's biggest podcasts <laughs> in the studio. And we fucked up. We fucked up on being able to bring each other into the conversation. <laughs> I was just on my game now. We're, we're like quite organised here. we got shit going. One year of chemistry, right? Yesterday, he messaged in Francis because we hadn't booked the studio. Hey, you said 515's all right. Like, you know when you try to put on the guest if something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, How have you been, man? Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, it's, it's all right, man. This reminds me of like when we did our America tour, we interviewed Theo Vaughn. And, oh, uh, fuck yeah. And we did it directly after Rogan and we had a massive blunt on Rogan. Mm. And we were fucked up, right? So I was trying to be professional because Theo is one of my favourite all-time comics. And I was doing the intro and he was like pissing himself laughing. <laughs> he just went, you've got to do better than that, man. <laughs> you've got to do better than that, bro. But Fear of One seems like a naturally high personality. Yeah. I don't know if he smokes, but he just kind of got that sort of off-kilter saying random stuff. Did it Did it work? Mate, I'll tell you, he, he was, he's one of the most naturally funny people. Yeah. I remember, well, so we were doing it, and I was trying to do the intro, and he kept laughing. He went, you guys have, we call it artism. <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny, man. Now, he, uh, What's American weed like? Do you smoke a lot oh, in the man. British shit? Mate, listen, I've come to the conclusion, like, everything they do over there is bigger than better. Damn. You know, you want weed, they do it better. You want stand-up, you want podcasting, you want crime, everything there is bigger it's and better. It's just, like, slightly better, majorly better. It's, it's capitalism, like, but, like, on an ultra level. Like, whenever yeah. I go out there, you're like, this is amazing, and then you run out of money, and you're like, get me oh, the fuck yeah. out of here. I say, dude, you know, they're like a stripper. Like, oh, the minute yeah. you're giving, the money's there, it's great. Yeah. The minute it's gone, they're just over with someone else. It's, yeah. Being it's, poor in America, fucking hell, that's got to be tough, man. man. They do poverty differently there as well, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going, like, the inner cities and that, it's fucking crazy. And they'll give you, like, cheese. That's it. It's that government cheese. That's There's government government. cheese? That's what government give you. Have you ever heard of that? No. no. Government, like, will give you, like, a, a block of cheese to, like, in the projects and that. Like you go like, Can we fact check that, please? I've, I've heard rappers say it. Like, <laughs> I don't mean cheese is like money. No, no, they give you a block of government cheese as like a like a little package. What, like some Federal Reserve cheese? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to be like, this is your dairy. This is like your calorie intake. This is your calcium for the yeah, year. Yeah, no, you're right. You're gonna get 32 ounces or nearly a kilogram of cheese. Doesn't yeah. say what type. Who designed that? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that dude? I was bet that? it was Nixon. Yeah, when you're interviewing, like, you know, doing like trigonometry, as you yeah. say, like you uh, host trigonometry and uh, when you're interviewing, because whenever I've listened to it, I mean, I mean this is the, like the, <laughs> in the nicest way possible. What I'm always amazed by with you and Constantine is that uh, is you you bring on people like I was listening to someone who does Bitcoin. Yeah. Who, if you were sat next to at a dinner party, yeah. you would immediately be like, oh, fucking hell, when we go and like, this guy keeps back. But yeah. you guys actually make them like interesting and you're very good at getting to the thing of like, what do you believe and what does that mean? Yeah. Like, you know, how did you sort of find out you could do that? Well, I think the way we approach it is like this. Trigonometry is a podcast which is about big ideas. Whatever it is, whether it's about Bitcoin, which is a future currency, whether it's about you know, talking about philosophy. And we wanted to take that and then make it accessible for everybody. Mm. I hate these podcasts where people just go say words like, oh, conjugate and all these kind of things. And 
your ideas, the idea of the person isn't interesting. They're just trying to make it seem more interesting by mm. making their language more complex. And what I wanted to do is wanted to do a podcast which was about big ideas, but make it accessible. So it didn't matter who a person was. Like I get van drivers coming up to me, I get city boys, I get everybody, right? Right. As long as they're white and male. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I was about to say that. So he's van driver and I was waiting for like, and, and rappers and <laughs> social workers. You're fucking saying it, mate. <laughs> I'm thinking it, you're saying it. <laughs> There's some robot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're four minutes in and we found the clip. <laughs> so imagine a roadman coming up. Hey, you a Shapiro, boy, like mate. <laughs> but is that is that because you used to be a teacher? Yeah. Is that something you sort of learned through teaching in like how to? Because yeah. it, it works when I listen to it. I'm smart enough to know I'm dumb. So if that makes sense, I know mm. when I. You know, I'd like to think I'm intelligent, but I'm not. But then when I listen to I'm like, oh, that, there's, you're very good at going, wait, 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 can you just in layman's or yeah. explain that to me? Whereas I think sometimes in interviews, like the interview, the person doing the interview wants to seem like they know what the fuck's going on a lot yeah. of the time. And it makes it, it makes it afterwards. You know, and that's what Rogan's always been really good at is just bringing people on, letting them talk <coughs> and, you know, just letting them go and go like, and when people are like, why didn't you put them up on something? He's like, I don't fucking know. That's why I always make me broke. I'm like, he's not. Yeah. And they're like, well, why are you having medical experts on? Because if, if you're not a medical expert, yeah. and he's like, to chat to yeah. a medical expert to, yeah. to see what you know. I'm I mean, a position of zero and just learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And and that's uh, the, genuinely because when it started out, we started in 2018 because that was at the time of Brexit, and we both voted Remain, and there was this. There, there was his That's narrative. A surprise to everyone. <laughs> yeah, he's a surprise to I've got a Brexit voice. I don't know that, man. But and um and and there was this narrative of like all Brexiteers being racist. And then I was like, this doesn't make sense because I know enough about politics to know that basically every old school left winger is a Brexiteer. Except back in the day, they were called Eurosceptics. Mm. They weren't called Brexiteers. It was a different thing. So That's I thought why I voted Leave. Did you? <laughs> yeah. 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 Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's actually the classic yeah. left wing position. Because, because, you know, famously, I think Corbyn was very mm. anti Brexit, but he couldn't. Say, no, sorry, he was pro Brexit, yeah. but yeah. he couldn't say it out yeah. loud because he didn't want to lose sort of that young yeah. left vote. And then that's probably one of the reasons he ended up losing because nobody yeah. really knew where he stood. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so. Uh, just to clear it up as well, I also hate Romanians. That's one of the other things. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want everyone to think, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was. It was. I don't trust big banking systems, and also, you know, yeah, they're gonna pick forty nine. But and so, so that's where it started. And and like, I was humble enough to know that I, I didn't know. I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, I know about this. And it was just in the spirit of curiosity, trying to find out what was going on. And it doesn't matter now. Like when I sit down with someone. The thing that trigonometry has taught me is I'm always the most stupid person in the room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, you didn't. I thought that was meant to be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was, I was agreeing with you. Like, too quick. No, I, I, I was agreeing. Sorry, sorry. Uh, that came across. I was doing that in sentiments of when I've done this podcast. Yeah. And we've had someone in who's a police officer or yeah. something and explain something in a way where you realise the position you hold never had any fault to it. Yeah. It was just an idea that you'd seen someone tweet or her or a parent has given you yeah. and then you meet someone in an actual field or something and you go, 
oh fuck, I actually, yeah, I guess I don't think that. And yeah. you know, that's I, I know where you, so I know where you're coming from. Yeah, and so the, you realise, like you said, the position you hold is one that you don't actually know what you're talking about. It's a position of ignorance, and so as a result of that, you just want to find out more. And by finding out more, then you you clarify your own position on what it is. Like there's loads of stuff like that we talk about, and I still don't know what I think about it. Mm. You know, because the more you hear from this side of the argument, and then you hear from this side. Like at the moment, we're talking to a lot of neuroscientists, and there's this guy. We it's about to come out. It's a brilliant interview called Anil Seth, <coughs> and Anil is a neuroscientist at Sussex University, and he talks about consciousness, and he says effectively, our version of consciousness is different for every single person. Like, do you remember when they had that black, that blue and gold dress and mm, then some yeah. people saw it as blue and black? He goes, if we can't agree on what colour a dress is, then how can we possibly agree on more complex and difficult yeah. subject matters? Mm. We're just never going to be able to do it. Because what happens is our brains are filtered all this information and then it's assembled in our brains and then we create this image of the world. But your image of the world, my image of the world, your image of the world is then filtered for our experiences, what uh, what we think, our brain chemistry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it just makes you realise like no one knows anything, really. So are you applying this to like the so-called, you know, we call the culture wars when we yeah. see people just being like so, a lot of people fighting and yeah. we're not necessarily supposed to agree on everything. Of course yeah. not. Do you know what I mean? But like, what is the common ground that we are supposed to because do, do you think things feel a little bit you know we're in a bad place right now in terms of discourse and dialogue i think so i think we're in a terrible place for discourse and dialogue. so what, what would be the ideal sort of place to get to then because i don't really know I th what that well would be. I, th I think ultimately the ideal place to get to is where two people can sit down and have a discussion and disagree Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and it's not, about and not dox each other at the end of it exactly yeah. and you know and then it's about <laughs> ideas it's not about you know the person because the reality is and this is something else that you learn the more and more you go into this stuff is that no one's being honest even like left and right let's take brexit and remain the Remainers aren't being honest about Brexit and the Brexiteers aren't being honest yeah. about Brexit. So what actually happens is two sides are arguing because they want to win. But as a result of that, like they say, the first casualty of war is always truth. Mm. So no one's actually being honest in what's going on. But yeah, but I feel like sometimes the first time a person does concede on one thing, yeah. they get used as like, ah, oh, he's on our side. It's like, no, 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 I was just saying this one element. Course. Like, there, there's a lot of black issues where I might be like, I, I understand that point of view there, but you can't necessarily come out and say it because, you know, you might people on the right being like, well, you see, he's with us. It's like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying all of that. I'm just saying it's not as black and white, you know, no pun intended, as things look sometimes, you know what I mean? Of course. But you feel like you have to then just, I, I might as well just stay on this side and just shut up about my reservations on whatever. Yeah. Because it, like, it's easier than that nuanced place where you know, I could be used as sort of the, the face of something I didn't want to be the face of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think ultimately, and this is something that we all need to get to, and this is where it's really tough, is you don't want to be part of a tribe, Michael. Because mm. the moment you're part of a tribe, you give up your individuality and you give up nuance and you give up actually being authentic as a human being. Because mm. you'll have some positions where you're on the right, you'll have some positions where you're in the centre and you'll have some positions where you're on the left. Everybody's like that. Practically mm. everybody. It's very few people who are all the time on the left or all the time on the right. Yeah. So what you want to get to is a place where you're like, well, for instance, I don't know, 
on economics, you might be a little bit more on the right. Mm. Culturally, you might be a little bit more on the left. Mm. When it comes to, like, I don't know, things like immigration, you might be a bit more in the centre, whatever it may be. But if you do that, then you will know that at least you're being honest. Yeah. And also, once you start doing that, then you're open to change. And once you're open to change, you're open to growing as an individual. Mm. When, when did it, so like going back and you started doing it about Brexit and mm. all of these things, when was it that you sort of realised like, oh, fuck, we, we're on to something here. Like we've actually got something that people like resonate with or that, yeah. you know, or that you're going out there. And there's certain levels like as I do podcasts, if it's, I understand so if it's about like marketing and things like that. But there is a thing where if you do have a podcast created by people within the industry mm. who probably at the time wouldn't be given something by the industry, yeah. that sorry, let me just get my words right. It then creates this sort of like I do look at these things in the world of podcasts and stuff now and go, oh, how is that overlooked? Mm-hmm. Like how did nobody look at that and find these people who've built a thing mm-hmm. out of their own back? And the industry can't, it should be the job of the industry to see that and find that early on and fund something like yeah. that and go, oh, okay, we might even disagree with what these people are saying or how they go about their their practices in terms of who they book and their art and stuff. <clears throat> but it's important to have a thing mm-hmm. where that, that exists. And it just sort of baffles me a little bit that we're in this place in the UK and in the West a lot at the moment where I'm very left wing, but I feel like we're not allowing... <laughs> there's like you you have to be left wing all the way yeah and not you can't then go maybe we shouldn't <laughs> give eight-year-olds like, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like gender reassignment surgery <laughs> yeah. if they can't vote yeah. they probably shouldn't you yeah. know let and them go to war first yeah, yeah. 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 and on. it's just a little bit like at the moment on the left i find you go so sorry what i was just saying is like when did you get to a point there where you uh realized you had like you had something that people were into it and invested in it were the the time that I realised that people were starting to get invested in it was we interviewed an evolutionary psychologist called Dr. Deanna Fleischman. And uh, she's a brilliant, 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 really, really fascinating woman. <coughs> and um, we were talking, you know, about the difference between men and women from an evolutionary point of view. Um, and Adam Buxton came up to me at a gig and he was just like, I love drinking Sorry, Adam. I fucking out. We're we're about to get a message from his lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But, so is that how that make you feel? Like you feel like people like in the industry have to tell you on the low? Of course, man. Does that make you feel good, good or bad? Yeah, I don't know. I find it funny. I find mm. it funny. Like I'm, I'm like I'm like a podcasting version of a porno, mate. <laughs> mate. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, like someone signs up to your OnlyFans under a fake name. <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, that's funny. Because we first met years ago. The Comedy Cafe was, yeah. I guess, how we all got to sort of know yeah. each other. Like, which uh, was a comedy club in London that was brilliant. Yeah. And then, I, I don't quite know what happened. So I think it was very possible that Noel, who ran it, just decided, fuck everyone. Yeah, uh, that does sound like Noel. And, and th- if that is what Noel has done, then God bless him. He, yeah. he's, done, he's, he's an amazing person. Thanks for the memories. Thanks yeah. for the memories. Yeah. And that is very, very <laughs> possible that he's gone, fuck this. Were you, were you ever there when he decided to get up? And do a set. Yes. <laughs> In the loosest possible sense of the word, man. No, yeah. no used to run, the, there was this guy, no, he ran uh, the comedy calf, just for people listening. And there'd be a Wednesday night. And it, it's where everyone I kind of know in comedy started. Yeah. Like yourselves, uh, Jamali, Mo Gilligan, Jimmy James, yeah. Jones. Jimmy James Jones, Ola the comedian, like Cake Hurd. There was always this sort of regular crew you'd see there. Nabil as well. Nabil as yeah. well. And, uh, 
And uh, he, uh, Noel would every now and then decide he was getting up. And it, you meant to do like seven minutes. And I think I once saw him do 30. <laughs> the most <laughs> bewildered <laughs> people would come in for a free comedy show. And he would he would crush. Because yeah. <laughs> he didn't give a fuck. Yeah, he didn't yeah. give a fuck. He yeah. just would get up. Jimmy, I'm going on. And that yeah. was it. But yeah, man, there's... Um, do you think like it's, it's sort of bit like starting in stand up when you started now hosting this podcast? What have you seen in the landscape change that sort of do you think for the better? It, for the better, so I think no, that's very interesting. For the better, this is for the better. Right. The, the gatekeepers don't exist anymore. Mm. The gatekeepers now they've lost their power. <coughs> they've absolutely lost their powers. It doesn't ma- it doesn't matter anymore. You can get on live at the Apollo, and all it will lead to is doing some gigs at the 99 Club. Mm. That, on, I, I, but that is the thing we all want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not no, joking. Yeah. If you live in London as a comedian, yeah. that is your, if you get on 99... <laughs> yeah. It's a nice spot. It's a yeah. nice, it's a nice you spot. get to do three gigs a night, all the rest of it. But... <laughs> what a sad state of affairs. <laughs> that literal... That we literally as comics are more bothered about getting, <laughs> getting home before 12. Getting, yeah. Like, yeah. like oh, Cinderella. I can, I can be on before match of the day. <laughs> yeah. It's a good... You, still, you still have to re- restart it. You still have to restart yeah. it. Yeah. You on the iPad, but I was I was listening to an interview with John Bishop. He said that he was playing like rooms above a pub. He did Michael McIntyre's Roadshow. He was playing art centres. He then did Apollo. He was then playing theatres. Mm. That's gone. That's dead. Yeah. That's done. That's finished. The best thing now is that whereas before you would have got amazing comedians who because they didn't fit a certain mould, the industry wouldn't want them. Whatever it is, maybe they're too weird. Maybe they're too brash. Maybe they're too controversial and it's particularly I think in the US they were kind of more open to that I think in this country you know there were a couple who slipped through but I think most people had to tone down what they did now you've got billions of people out there just waiting for you Mm. this is the best thing and it's and it's your fan base yeah I mean like like you said the gatekeeper can take away your fan base with by taking away TV opportunities Yeah. yeah you've got like a podcast you've got some sort of thing twitch whatever you can keep maintain your own people and yeah. you just have to worry about, because it's your style of humour, you just have to keep entertaining them. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. And is there a thing as well, like in the way that like you've sort of seen podcasting, obviously it was like huge, you get like when you started in 2018, like yeah. it's been around for ages, like the explosion that's kind of happened with it. How have you seen that like slightly, like have you seen a lot of people try to replicate what you do with trigonometry? Yeah, so you know, there's the, I, I have yeah. There's there's been a few podcasts it's where like you call them out. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fucking name and shame, mate. No, Bro, listen to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, mate, I already pissed off the entire comedy industry and the biggest podcast yeah. in the world, mate. Uh, <laughs> by the way, that was fucking like I'm gonna get shit for this, right? Because I'm a, I make it no secret, I'm a massive Joe Rogan fan. Yeah, right? which is not gonna come as news to anyone, right? Yeah. And I said it as a tweet at the time you guys did nothing different than what happens in car shares to car to Give gigs, context. Uh, when you went uh, so you guys went on rogan <coughs> and you, you didn't mince your words no. what you make of the comedy industry and i imagine was there a point after that blunt like in a cab elsewhere where you sort of thought maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could have not done, done as much cutting off of everybody yeah but it was it was very funny yeah I mean, I think we all agree that American comedy, do you think it is? I mean, I think it is like a, a lot ahead. Oh, of course of, it is. Of, of, of course it is. Of yeah. course it is. But do you think that is to do with they can get away with saying more? Yeah. You reckon? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I went, when I went to Rogan's show in, um, where was it called? Oh, fuck, they do Kill Tony there as well. Wait, it's, it? Yeah. 
I can't remember the name of the club. Is it recorded in Texas, right? Yeah, yeah, this year, yeah, it's in it's in Austin. So his club, I can't remember what it, I think it's something like the Anvil, whatever it is. And <coughs> like the sets they were doing, I I was a bit like, whoa, that's that's a bit much. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. You know, I mean, you just couldn't do that. Is it is it on the on the artist or the audience? Who's who's holding back in terms of? Who's well, the... no, the audience don't give a fuck, man. Yeah, is, yeah. is that a thing where they've they've created that uh, out there? And you know, we were talking before the pub. We, yeah. we all do top secret a lot and stuff. Yeah. I the, the reason I am a comedian, get the opportunities I am today, is because of that place. Yeah, really. of course. Uh, there are times though where there are audiences there where you go, oh, you guys are nineteen and haven't been told you don't matter yet. Yeah. Or, that, yeah. That, mm. or the opinion you have has come from some. I find a lot of it. You've moved to London. You've got a lot of white guilt because you're yeah. middle class, upper middle class. You move to an area. Part of the area is deprived. You live in a nice place. So that adds a level of guilt to it. Mm. That comes with that. And so now you have to go a little bit hard on like, oh, somebody on, you know, it's not even to do with comedy. Oh, they've not hired a gay actor for a gay <laughs> role. Like, you have to be seen yeah. as this thing. And it's a little bit, you know, whereas there they've sort of, I feel like because they're 10, 15 years ahead, they've sort of gone through that mm. and they've come out the other side of it where they've got an agreement of, yeah, if you want to go and see the, you know, the stuff that, you know, like I have no problem with trigger warnings. We used to yeah. we do that with films, 12, 15, yeah, 18. Yeah, that's, yeah, like, yeah. That's, a, mm. that's not a new thing. You know, doing that at comedy shows seems to make sense of going like, hey, you might hear some stuff at this show i feel like they've kind of done that in a way where you'll go to a show and there's tony hinchcliffe kim dylan joe rogan yeah Hans kim people like yeah. that that you know what the fuck you're gonna get yeah but we've all got bits uh, on the line but you know i think we're, we're good writers good performers mm. we that, that that's the end of the day that's the difference in terms of the bit is good enough where someone's yeah. like it, it there's a foundation behind it and it's not, it's not just trying to be edgy, you're not just trying to do this. There's actually mm. a foundation and the audience will go with you. Maybe it's when you're trying it out. Now, when you're trying to work something out and it's not quite right there, yeah. you might. that's where you might get in trouble. But I, I still feel like if the quality of the bit is good enough, you can you can get away with it because we've all done it. But, on. Yeah, but like Chris Rock said about <clears throat> like his famous I was going to say that, yeah, yeah. The difference between like black people and then word, right, is like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to, why do you got to, what, what, do you want me to say it? And then, and then, and then, but we're already pushing it with Francis. <laughs> you know, we I'll could. get the blame. He wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for you. It's just me in the corner. God, 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 say it, say it, say it. Did you say N-word, people? Is that what you said? N-word, I don't know, brother. Look, I had an edible before. For the podcast, okay, and um, right, okay, this little, go, go, yeah, go, yeah, go. that he couldn't write that he couldn't write that bit today yeah. because of things. Let me just say, right, have you ever, st you know, sometimes you're at a train station, right, yeah. and the train's coming, and you're like, I'll jump in front of the train, like a little voice Intrusive. in your head. Yeah. Yeah. That happens to white people, yeah, but with the end, right? You guys say it. Sometimes you're there, and you're like, I wonder what would happen if I just <laughs> shouted this right now. Like it just, it just, be, you know, and you have to go, whoa, let's. I mean, yeah. You guys have all said it. <laughs> your combined use of saying is probably as much as mine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, but, no, no, but that. even a bit like that, right? That's yeah. like, was what I was talking about before in terms yeah. of thoughts where you couldn't vocalize it. Yeah. Especially now, because like Fox News would be like, see, he's one of us. And you're like, yeah. no, no, this is, I made this for black people because we all know this is true. Yeah. But we need to have this dialogue within ourselves. Of course. But like now, that guy on one of the fucking Fox News guys would be like, he's one of us. And then now you get called an Uncle Tom. And it's like, how do you navigate saying things that are truthful, but you don't want to be used as a tool? 
by other people. And I think Bill Burr said it the best. You know, <coughs> these are just jokes, and people are going to listen to it, and they're going to cut it with their own shit. Mm. You know, you know your intention when to do it. Mm. You know that you're not trying to be malicious. You're not trying to hurt. You just want to make people laugh, mm. right? And unfortunately, if you were going to do first, so for me, and this is purely subjective, for me, the best comedians are the ones who tackle that con- those contentious issues, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Those are the best, the most fearless comics. And if you do that kind of stuff, people are going to get upset. Mm. They just are. And there's nothing you can do about it. And also people are going to misrepresent you and people are going to get upset. Because let's say you get to a stratosphere, a stratospheric level comedian, Mm -hmm. right? And people love you. You're going to release a new album and there's going to be people who are going to be like, ah, he's sold out, man. Uh, He's sold out. He's gone soft. They say the same about Burr. They Mm. go, ah, he's gone soft. He's gone... No, he's just different. He's grown as well. I was... uh, Yeah. I think this about... uh, I was having this chat with my dad the other night about Frankie Boyle. Mm. And actually, when you look at... uh, uh, Well, my dad made this point. I don't know how he made it. uh, I was talking about that golden era of Mock the Week. Yeah. It was... uh, Frankie and Russell, and yeah. it was just—it was clearly a bear pit. But yeah, it was—it was great. Mm. Um, and then Frankie Boyle, some of the jokes that he done on it, you now look back at, like the one about Harvey Price, which he did get in trouble for. Mm. Yeah, the spoon that, one. That was funny. No, the, the one about the only reason she's got a date, Alex Reed, the cage fighter, is because he's the only one who can stop Harvey from fucking her. Is like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's, yeah, it's funny, but but I mean, my God, tell yeah. it, you know, I'll defend his right to say it. Yeah. Fucking about. But then years later, when I think he's sort of grown as an artist and a person yeah, yeah, yeah. and probably does better stuff now, he's like sort of in a way, but similar to different to uh, similar, but different to Burr. People grab that bit of work and go, but you once said this. Yeah. And he's like, and he yeah, I'm now sort of, saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and he's yeah. kind of got a sort of just not. Let that be. You have to be almost like calm amidst a storm of everyone mm. having opinions and just do what you think is the true artistic thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of it is about creating work and then just putting it out there and accepting that people are going to interpret it whatever <laughs> way they want. Mm. They're just going to interpret it. And, you know, and you begin to be doing a bit about plastic surgery. Like, you know, I did a video about plastic surgery and celebrities. Oh, yeah. and, and then, you know, it. it it did quite well when people were sharing it and people were like, this is really funny. And then someone underneath wrote, you're a, you're a big nose misogynistic prick. <laughs> <laughs> Saying shit like that. I love that we do like same star videos, but you could also swap the, <laughs> the insults that are put underneath yeah, yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. Like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you, you can't control that. Man. Yeah. You can't control yeah. that. Someone will be, you know, and this is a thing. And this is a thing that I always find baffling, man. It's just like, it's like, when you have a black person who has, I wouldn't even say right a centre views. I would say mainly probably like heterodox, like mm. slightly contrarian. Like like Nico, I like, I like yeah. Nico. Yeah. Like Nico's saying at the moment is kind of really fun. To yeah. Watch. yeah, yeah. Nico's a brilliant comic. Yeah. he's yeah. a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant comic. Yeah. right. And I'm not saying that because he's because you know he's my mate. I've bigged him up on, on, on loads of stuff. But the moment he you do that, <clears> you then get black people saying racist things to them. Mm. You go, what the fuck is going but on? But you also get a lot of white liberal people being like, you're not what 
I think you're supposed to be. Yeah, do you know what I mean? That's, that's the thing where liberalism, like, and the left has a problem where, like, the minute you get, like, when white people call Pretty Patel a coconut, mm. you're like, <laughs> you shouldn't yeah. be the one throwing that word around. Yeah. That, like, that's that's you, you, you're, and you're right. It's like it's like this problem that liberals have where they are racist. They just don't think they're racist. Yeah. You know, and like, if you listen to like a lot of black people speak, they go like, yeah, and with a racist, you know their intention you know what they are yeah. they're like they're a racist and mm. you kind of go oh okay whereas with a with someone who's like well they're a racist but they don't know it and they disguise it it's because they want something from you they want mm. you to be a certain yeah. you know and i think there is a problem with that on the left mm. where it's like we you know we want uh you, you, yeah refugees welcome and stuff one they're not living in our area so it's fine <laughs> and two also like it, <coughs> until someone comes becomes a refugee grows up and comes a conservative Mm. And yeah. then, and then suddenly, it's like you should be grateful for our, you know. And it's like, well, no, they've they've got freedom of choice. That's the point yeah, of this. Yeah, they're allowed yeah. to choose their opinions. I think a lot of people using minorities as a talking point, or as in a, yeah. rather than as seeing them as an actual human being, and they're like mm. they say something that was beyond the realms of what they thought. Like, oh my goodness, you're I mean, sold out or whatever. Yeah. It leads to loads of problems, like what you've got going on in Liverpool at the moment. Mm. I don't know if you see. Oh, it's just something every week with them, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It just sounds so much better in the South London accent as well. Just something weird every week, mate. Every week I pick up the fucking paper. They're probably doing something wrong. They're kicking off. I think like at the Friday area of Liverpool, you find a lot of people coming out from these sort of like what you used to find in the EDL and things like yeah. that, people coming out and then screaming at, well, ch this isn't what Churchill fought for for Britain. And you're like, yeah. you know, Churchill demanded, like, the police go and shoot scousers during, like, a trade <laughs> really? union protest. Yeah, so yeah. it wasn't all bad then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he had his good points. <laughs> but, but like, Liverpool, which is, you know, you usually consider this massive left-wing city. Yeah, don't buy the sun. And it's a great city. And then you have... Uh, these people coming out because there's migrants put in a hotel yeah. and it's all a complex situation because the processing thing takes forever. There's a lot of people coming over, so then they have to put people in hotels. So then people who haven't got anything all of their life are like, wait, what the... Like, to some people, a travel lodge is a massive thing. Of we course forget. it is. That's a huge fucking thing to go away and pay to sleep in another room. Yeah. Like some... a caravan holidays people make fun of. Do you know people go on caravan holidays? You said that because you were thinking of what poor white people don't try to save it. <laughs> like when you guys go butlins. Yeah. I, mean, I know it means a but, lot to you. But like this is like a level of people that probably don't get to do those sorts of things. And then, so just the idea that someone's in a hotel is already an anomaly to them. <laughs> and they then go out and they're like, well, no one's giving me fucking anything in life. Yeah. And these people come over here and they're giving fucking everything. And then these people do move into the areas they live in and there's more of a social program for them or there's more of a community thing because mm. a load of them moved in together that they create like a community centre. There's this thing. People don't necessarily integrate in the way people think they do. And that creates a load of racial tension. And then the left come along and go, look at these fucking racists. And you go, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Right, they are, but look at why that's happened. They, they're failed by the system yeah. as well, and you're not going to get anywhere without explaining that to these people, that the, the guy who's moved in isn't your enemy, it's the fucking system that's there where a government who takes... People can hand out 
fucking millions of pounds to each other on PPE contracts mm. and then just turn this like little stove on to get, get the culture war going and the, the immigrant one's been done for time where they get people to turn in on each mm. other and then that becomes a massive argument mm. and nobody's achieved anything. Yeah. You know, you know in, the, in the back of the day, like slaves, like former slaves and like poor white people used mm. to try and link up, form mm. like a union. But then, like the higher ups, they just shut that down. They were like, "Fuck, these guys figure out that like they need each other." Then yeah, it's fucked. But, but it's also the thing is, and, and it's such a good point, Elliot, because we're not having honest conversations. <coughs> that is a problem. Like you listen to people on the left, and they'll just say things like, "Well, I think open, we we need open borders." Mental. And, and you go, <laughs> yeah. "Our NHS is failing." I mean, that's just objective. Our schools are crumbling. The infrastructure doesn't work. There obviously needs to be a cap on immigration. Mm. And all you're doing by not restricting the boats. The boats have come over largely because it's the it's actual uh, the gangsters running it. The gangs right, that run okay. it. Yeah, yeah. So the loads of those people they pay literally thousands of pounds to be put in a dinghy and then shipped over here, and you're you're by not dealing with the problem, you're inadvertently funding organised crime, and as a result, unfortunately, like what you know, you always get these horrible cases where it overturns in the channel on a choppy sea, and everyone dies. Yeah. So you need to talk about the problem, and you need to deal with it honestly. And by just like saying things like racist or whatever else, it's not going to solve it. I remember we had a, a journalist on called Ed West. He's a conservative journalist, and he said one of the most profound things I've ever heard. He goes, "Free speech is important because." If you're not prepared to talk about a problem honestly and every facet of the problem, then you have no hope of solving it. Yeah. Yeah. I have you ever that. had a guest on who's like surprised you, like good or bad way? Just like. Yeah. Lots yeah. of them. Yeah. Who surprised you in a. I don't know if I say a name, but to give you some context, who surprised you in a bad way? Like who's you surprised? thought you would have sort of a more in depth conversation, it's turned into something else. Who surprised me? That's really interesting. You know who, what. You know what's really interesting is you see a lot of people who are big online and they do like content <coughs> and you know they've got these pieces that bang and then they go viral and then you talk to them there ain't a lot there. and there's not a lot of depth oh, behind yeah. it yeah do, do you meet people on a side who you think like you're both left and right mm. fuck knows i've met some people on the left who are like this mm. where you're like i don't think you believe a lot of this shit Mm. Yeah, I don't think you. I think is, yeah, I think this yeah. is a paycheck. Like yeah. I, I, you know, I know. Oh, I think they comes like a religious thing where they can't deny. Yeah, any, you know. Do you any, think that's good or bad? Like, is it just like any any means possible to get the money? I I think I think people start playing like I've listened to like Ben Shapiro on things, mm. and I've very rarely found myself agreeing with him to the point where I've seen him. And someone made a good point. Ben Shapiro is amazing at arguments from what I've seen. He's amazing at winning debates against 18-year-old girls <laughs> at a university. And then the minute he sat in front of someone who's a little bit like, yeah, you probably shouldn't, you know, Ben Shapiro wrote that, uh, I think it's great when like someone in Afghanistan gets blown up and not an American troop. And it's like, right, what did you mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're beefing him right now, aren't you? Yeah, you're, no, not Shapiro. Uh, no, uh, Matt... Matt. <laughs> Yeah. Who you beefing? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I stuck it on him. Oh, shit. <laughs> this is our serious journalism. This is <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, moving on. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Is it really that bad? Yeah. No, no, it's all right. It's all right. We're trying to calm it down. Oh, right. Okay. So, not the place. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. So. Fire some fire but, on but, but look, I, I like. 
I, I, I agree with you in that. I think the problem is, <laughs> is that we've got a lot of political commentators and you see them a lot and they talk about everything, right? Afghanistan, you know, epidemiology, uh, the political crisis in the UK, the economic crisis in the UK, the migrant crisis, the NHS. You're like, do you know every single thing yeah, about each yeah. of these things in the depth that is required in order to have a nuanced and balanced opinion? Or are you just winging it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that though, like, because um, <coughs> I have like a lot of friends from home. The only one recently, like Nigel yeah. Farage. Yeah. They re Nigel Farage resonates with them. And at first I was kind of like, oh, that's a bit icky. And then when like, you speak to them and find out why, mm. I feel like a little bit that they've bought into this, uh, the same as like a Boris Johnson mm -hmm. did, where they had this, I'm just, you know, speaking how it is. And then they, yeah. they, 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 you know, and whenever BBC comedy panel shows did this thing where they took the piss out of Nigel Farage mm. and then wouldn't understand why he's on question time. I'm like, you've satirized him and he's not a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like this guy is clued up enough to run a party. He's not stupid. Yeah. You've satirized him to the point where people have looked at him, laughed, and then gone, but he's not wrong on that though. Yeah. Like he's not wrong on that. And you've created that thing. You know, I think like a, a bit of the sort of comedy community has a place to, has a part to play in the rise of someone like, and made mainly Nigel Farage and you know himself but mm. did you find when you met him do you would you say like because he strikes me as someone who's a little bit like I'm like I don't know if you think everything you're saying is true mm. like, I don't know if you're if the powers that he's playing with are necessarily that he understands what he's doing like yeah I think the thing is that you have to under the thing that you need to understand with Nigel whether you agree or disagree and I disagree with him on quite a lot is that Nigel is the most talented politician of his era. If you think about it, think right. what Nigel did. Nigel started out and he was a joke figure. He was a joke. He was getting less votes in the monster rainy, raving loony party, yeah. right? Screaming Lord such. He was a punchline. To then create UKIP, which, although it didn't, it, I think on one election it won 4 million votes. Yeah. which was enough for the Tory party to shit their pants yeah. and then do a referendum to then take that referendum and then win it. Okay. Is, yeah, go on. Yeah. And then, and this is what I said to Eddie Izzard when I was open for him, when he was <laughs> like, it was saying to me, I, I dislike him and blah, blah, blah. And I said, Eddie, you can dislike him. And that is your right to dislike him. And you can hate everything about his politics. The problem with your side of the argument is Eddie, you don't, understand why he won and you don't want to understand right and by doing that you are doomed to failure every single time because yeah. if you don't understand why you've lost then how are you possibly expecting to win next time round? yeah and would you say like it like links back to that thing like we were talking about about uh people in liverpool at the moment like protesting yeah. like hotel things like that i think it goes back to there's a class of people in the uk and, you know I'll, I'll speak to you about this like you you can't keep having a thing where it's like uh, you go again panel shows and stuff like that where the joke of every punchline is white people yeah. in a majority white it's country. It's so reliable though. It is. <laughs> 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 if, if, if it works, it works. And look, I've done it as well when I'm at Thompson. Look at these white people. But yeah. you're also, don't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 but yeah, but you know, where you have that and have someone who uh, privately educated that where 
working class white people don't see themselves as in a position of power. Because they're not, Elliot. Uh, yeah, but that, I know, they're I know. Not. But then, so attacking the idea, which a majority of the country is, yeah. you're alienating them from a side, you know, the side that I think there's a lot of points on, that are a lot of good points. You think that still happens, though? The whole um, subjugating of, of uh, working class white people? No, no it's, uh, it's, it's less <laughs> and less, but there was a period where I think what... I think what happens is a lot of that stuff has shown itself up for, you know, it's like you, uh, this might be a little bit off point, but uh, uh, the film The Whale, there was like a, a, a fat activist, right, wrote yeah. a, a blog about it, about how this film was really disrespectful to fat mm. people for showing how fat people come fat. And, <laughs> and, 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 the, and it's like, well, you've actually done a very reductive, that's like the same as a Christian coming out who's watched a film yeah. and gone, this film is anti-Jesus. And you're like, what? What do you on it? What, what do you mean by it? And you've, you've reduced something to a very narrow world view, yeah. mm -hmm. to a very blindsided way that doesn't allow you to understand art, doesn't allow you to understand anything cultural to understand why people might think a different way mm. because you're so blindsided by this I think the same way I think now a little bit like everyone who's like used white people as a joke mm -hmm. it has come a little bit everyone's like yeah we kind of get what you're doing now a little bit more there's a little bit more of that and I think it's bigger in America mm. as well than it is here but you look at like the people who went and did that you know did it to defend the statues I couldn't fundamentally disagree with them or, or and not, yeah. not imagine a bigger waste of my time than going to defend an inanimate object. Yeah. But they thought their sovereignty was under attack. Mm. They went there because they were, uh, because the newspapers in this country and everyone had been locked inside facilitated. The, the Churchill statue gets vandalized on nearly every protest because it is a thing near the center. If you put a statue of Winnie the Pooh there. <laughs> yeah. It would get vandalized. It's yeah. in an area where people are protesting. You yeah. get that amount of people, someone's gonna yeah. do something to something. And then the papers took that and ran with it and one side then went and got rid of the Carlston statue, which I agree with, and then yeah. another side was yeah. going in uh, in the but the but when you look at what these people did, they're probably some guy from I don't know Skegness who's up to his neck in credit card debt, mm. who then has been taught in school that his granddad fought in the war and that's a great thing, and he yeah. fought under Winston Churchill, and there'd have been a Winston Churchill poster of speech in his class, and he spent all his life working, and then suddenly he opens up the Sun one day, and it's like Black Lives Matter is trying to take Winston Churchill from you, and yeah. you know, do, and yeah. then all of this stuff. Not Winston. Not yeah. Winston. He's yeah. gonna immediately. Go, you know, the same way, like some people, you, you see it with like either Andrew Tate at the moment or, or Bill Cosby, where people be like, no, nah, he didn't do all of that stuff. Yeah. And you're like, you can look at the history of Churchill and it's fucking horrific parts yeah. of it. But he also won what? us, he also won the war. Yeah. The nuance of it, of being able to, to look at those two things. And I don't know, if, that's the whole thing about nuance. It, it doesn't always sit easy. That's why we go, oh, this way or that way, because it's easy like that. Nuance, it makes you feel uncomfortable. And I think, I don't know, we have to learn how to, to deal with this uncomfortableness of not having uh, a right or wrong answer in, in sort of reasonable ways, but and we're still figuring out. Yeah, and it. that's, yeah, and look, I completely agree. And that's why when you sit down and have a conversation with Farage, it's very uncomfortable as a, you know, a former, you know, old school lefty to go, oh, you got a point there. Mm. Right, yeah. You've got a point, you know, and because... Until we can do that, we can't have honest conversations. Do you think he's doing that, though? Is, is Farage got his fair amount of... No, you've got a point. Is he yeah, conceding? Yeah, particularly on economics. Mm. He understands economics. And when he talks about the economics of this country and what a mess we're in, we interviewed him before the war in Ukraine, and he was talking about the energy crisis, and he was talking about how 
people don't understand what's going to happen to their energy bills. And he was talking about that in March and it was in November when it hit. Right. And he was going, people don't understand what's going to happen. People aren't going to understand what's going to happen to the economy. People aren't going to, aren't going to understand what's going to happen with inflation. And it's all coming, believe me. And, and then, lo and behold, it came. Yeah, but then he also, it's just like he says some things that are so fucking, like, you oh, know. Oh, absolutely. It, it, that I just, you know, I find, and I do find that there's this thing, like you talk about, yeah, he is a, an amazing politician. Yeah. Like, it, from the way you're explaining it, he is an amazing politician. I don't think someone who's amazing at doing what he's done should be in charge. That's my problem with the infrastructure. Well, like, it helped because he had one thing that he was trying to yeah. focus on. One thing, yeah. and he got that done. You know what I mean? Having him in charge of all the things might not be so good. No, but I mean, like, in a sense of, I think the way that we do politics in, you know, debate, point scoring. Personally, I don't give a fuck how many kids Boris Johnson has. Why does that matter? Yeah. He's in charge of the country. Yeah. Right, he's not running things properly. Get him on that. Yeah. I don't care if he has sex with loads of people. Why does that... How does that affect my day? Mm. And But then we use this point scoring thing. You know, oh, Ed Miliband can't eat a bacon sandwich. <laughs> like, why is that? You know, even like, like you know, my, there's no, no secret that my family was big Corbyn supporters and stuff, mm. and it would be the first people to admit he, he didn't handle it well. <laughs> um, but he, you know, there was things about Corbyn where it would just be like, what has any of this got to do mm. with his ability to run? And I think there's this thing, you know, now where it's playing a game as a politician, playing this yeah. thing. And you have to have a certain level of desire to be in power where you probably shouldn't be in power if that's your... But then I don't know who you put in in power. That's the problem. Yeah, and the, and that's and the other issue is is because Corbyn, until he until the Brexit element, he was absolutely authentic, and yeah. yeah, he and he came across as a man of integrity, which is why people really got behind him. Yeah, really got behind. I still say if because uh, Grenfell happened, I think yeah. a week after that election if that happened like three weeks before he'd have won that election oh yeah, yeah the way theresa may and the conservative party handled that was so inhumane yeah that i i think the country would have just immediately swung towards him i, I completely agree with you i completely agree he, with could, you. he could have won just being pro brexit but if he explained it in his way surely maybe if he said a little bit less about the jews as well <laughs> 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 Maybe if he, if he, he just couldn't. The problem with that they was. They own so much was, stuff, yeah, though, Elliot. He was, he, was, he was really doing it before Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, because I don't think he was saying. He would just, like, go visit a mural that yeah. was, like, weird. Uh, he, like, he would just be in the wrong places all the time. What happened with that is so my dad it was a big part of the yeah. anti Iraq war movement. Mm. And what happens is. Do you know in comedy, like if I go, oh, Francis, Mike, I'm putting on a benefit night yeah. for a local school. Would you come down and do it? And then uh, one of the teachers gets up to say something. A few years later, the gig's brought up because the teacher's caught because he was, I don't know, being a nonce or yeah. something. And they go, Francis Rosar and Michael Odawale were gigging with a You had no idea. And that's yeah. what happened with the Iraq war stuff is, you know, there was like a little where people would go like, oh, and we're going to get some imam from the local mosque and he'll yeah. come up. And then like years later, they'll be like, you know, this guy <laughs> said that we should make Jew casserole. <laughs> with his hook hands. And then you go, wait, what? Like that's, that's what I think happened yeah. to Corbyn, where he just—he wasn't ever meant to be a front bench politician. No, wasn't. he wasn't meant to have that brought up in. That wasn't meant to be under that level of scrutiny. Yeah. And the papers, I think, the way you see the machine—that's what I found worrying about at the time was the way you see the machine in this country work. Similarly with Donald Trump. Yeah. Is 
something happens where the media and the people in charge mm. sort of work together and choose a side and go, we can't fucking have this. So yeah. it doesn't matter at what cost. You know, I'm sure if you look at those people now, they're like, they, they were the people turned against Boris Johnson like mm. very quickly when they realised Boris was bad for business. Do you, do you think people are more savvy to media manipulation? Yes, I think we fundamentally lost our, our trust in media. Mm. I think 20 to 30 years ago, if you saw something on the BBC, if you saw something on TV, if it was in print journalism, you know, publications like the New York Times or The Guardian, there was a point where we do these improvised live shows on trigonometry where we just bring up a Guardian article and just read it out and we'd both be pissing ourselves because mm. it was that ridiculous as a piece of journalism. Mm. I, I think we've got to the point now, which is why podcasts have become so successful, where Joe Rogan gets far more viewers than MSNBC and CNN combined is because they know that, look, fake news or, or, or whatever you want to call it or... You, or um. Well, there's a term for it. There's fake news. I can't remember the other the other thing, right? And the reality is, like, you, not everything that you're being told is true. It doesn't matter what source you're getting it from. Not everything you're being told is being true. But people look at people like Joe, and they know that Joe's authentic. I've met Joe. What you see with Joe is what you get. Mm. The bloke you see on your screen is a bloke you meet and, you know, have a, have a, have a smoke with afterwards. That is the bloke. Met people in TV. Mm. How many how many how many times can you say about people on TV? Yeah, yeah. They've got their spin to put on it. They have got advertisers to shit and worry about. And when, yeah, when you were going into the into Rogan Studio, yeah. was that quite a surreal moment? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, it was like watching a live animatronic doll come alive in front of you. You're like, is this fucking real? Yeah, and you because you guys did like four and a half hours. Yeah. yeah, that must have been like such a cool like thing to sit in there and be like, because I'd be nervous if I went in, I'd be in there and in there for like an hour and a half. He was like, anyway, thanks for coming <laughs> on, man. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, <laughs> do you know? I didn't like. Uh, I didn't notice this, like, but you know, Constantine was saying like there were times where he was looking at his watch and Constantine oh. said like every time Rogan looked at his watch. He just felt his guts go. Oh, fuck. But he seemed to love it. Like, he seemed yeah. like, but fuck me, man. That must have yeah, been no, yeah. a long, That's time. A long yeah. time. That must have been such a fucking cool experience. It was. It was because it, it was kind, It felt kind of like a journey. So, like, we, we opened like with grooming gangs. Yeah. yeah. Just, just open <laughs> with gangs. Yeah. And then he got into the non stuff. Right, and he was we, he was talking about nonces, which is my specialist subject. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hang on a minute, mate, yeah. hang on a minute, that's wrong. And he went, Jamie, fact check that shit. And I thought, oh fuck, right, I'm on the biggest fucking podcast in the world. And then we did about two hours, and then like he got, he went, do you want to join? And then he pulled out this blunt cigar, and it's the most beautiful weed I've ever smoked. Wow. Have you ever smoked or eaten something that no poor person has got within a mile <laughs> radius of? <laughs> Do you know that? <laughs> Man, <laughs> they've never even and I've never had it and I just smoked it and it just you know when you see in the movies weed and it just like yeah. and it was that beautiful feeling Shit. and then we just started and then we just uh, had a com and then it became a conversation with him and then because I'm a big fight fan like more boxing Constantine's more into MMA and I'd just never seen anyone in that space have an honest discussion about CTE 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, do you know what CTE is? Yeah, brain, yeah, brain yeah. And, and amongst fighters, and I thought, well, let's just do it, man. Let's just have this chat, and then we were talking back and forth, and it was just, it was just brilliant. It was just brilliant because I'd never seen anybody have an honest conversation, particularly someone who's that involved and has so much involved in the game. Mm. But he's also, you know, got integrity. And Joe will even say himself, the, re the reason why he quit uh, fighting mm. is because he was worried about brain damage. Really? I, yeah, I, I always find that interesting when I listen to him and he will have like a criticism of the UFC yeah. and like a bit of business practice. That to me like says a lot because I'm like, oh, that's your, that's like a big paycheck for you. And you're yeah. a big part of the business. And he obviously has such a relationship with Dana White where Dana kind of knows... Yeah, Joe's got his opinions, but I imagine Dana White's a bit like, fuck him, like, because yeah. yeah. like, he's so big. But I also yeah. like think that's amazing that Joe can come out and sort of go, like, Joe Rogan can come out and go, you know, I think the UFC's doing this badly and I yeah. think there needs to be a change in the gloves and yeah. all of this what stuff. What is the practical solution then? Because some people are like, oh, we got to ban this shit. You can't ban boxing. Oh, man. You know, it, uh, to me, right, the people who like think, like, are you into UFC? No, nah, no, it's boxing. Okay. So there's a fighter called Jorge Mahvidal, right? Yeah. yeah. He's a maniac. The guy's a fucking maniac, right? Yeah. Okay. He's a Cuban guy. He's, he's, a, he's a nutcase. Street Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And before he got into the UFC, you can see this on YouTube, he was doing fights in people's back gardens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, street, uh, not street beefs, but he came through like the Kimbo Slice, yeah. of, like in Miami. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in the, if you think back to ancient Greece, like Jorge, he would just be, he would be Achilles. He'd have a statue up to him. You know, we'd all be there, go, you know, cheering him on. These are what these people are. These are bred to be... They're, they're, they're maniacs. They, they're, they need this. Yeah, they're bred yeah. to be fighters. That's what they are. You know, I remember I was talking... He's not a professional. He's like... My, my producer's... He's a scouser, actually. His yeah. brother, right, does cage fighting. Yeah. For fun. And he goes to me, you know, if I don't fight in a, 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 at least once a month, I get depressed. Mm. Yeah. Because it's also the training, that thing to look forward to. Yeah, uh, I know that with a lot of, uh, especially men, yeah. where they haven't got, um, it's a very, um, almost like ancient and understandable way of like, yeah. a very simple way of just understanding the most basic of life concepts. You know? yeah. Like I apply everything to like what I learned. I, like jujitsu has this really simple formula. You're a white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, but even as a black belt, you know, Owen, we had uh, one of the world's best jujitsu yeah. fighters in here, Owen Flanagan, Owen Flanagan. Like his black belt is different to, some 35 year old who's like a hobbyist yeah who's got his black there's there's still difference you know yeah. like in stand-up i always say it there's like a white belt stage which is open mic in mm. and then the worst stage is being a blue belt where you're not quite professional yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. you're not an open micer yeah and that's in jiu-jitsu people really struggle with that phase yeah. is a blue belt position and that that is sort of i think applicable to you can strip that back and apply that to anything in life and some people just need that Sort of yeah. in the similar way myself, need that said in the most simple of forms. Like, yeah. listen, dummy, yeah. you have to come down and train and apply yourself yeah. and do something to get to that level. You can't just come in here and mm. beat that person who's well, been doing it for years. In terms of the brain damage, what, what, what do you do? What do you do? I think you have to accept, I think this is a problem, is the reality is dementia is an awful, awful illness. And you see a particular lot of American footballers, um, you've got it with rugby players now, people like Alex Popham. I can't remember the name. He played uh, Steve Thompson, who played hooker for England in the 2003 World Cup, won the World Cup. He's Steve Thompson, I think he's about 47. He's got, he's got dementia. He's got no knowledge of winning the World Cup. He's got no memory of it. He's got no memory of practically any of his rugby career. He met the Queen, doesn't remember. 
it, so it's a very difficult subject. But the reality is, it's, you know, look, think about a lot of these guys, people who become fighters. What else would they have done? Yeah. You know what else well, they would have got they... into fights? Yeah, they would have got, they would have <laughs> got into done fights. The same thing. Yeah, they yeah. would have got Especially into fights. Because a lot of them from working class backgrounds. Mm. Yeah, you know. Do you think that there's almost like with someone like that rugby player we're talking about? <laughs> uh, have we have we got much longer, Lucas? Uh, we've done an hour, but you can go on for a little bit. Oh, cheers, thank yeah. you. Do you think that there's like you're talking about that rugby player there? Yeah. Do you think that you can make the argument? at that time to him mm. that you want something so much. Like I remember listening to Quentin Tarantino talk about mm. Pulp Fiction, that if someone went to him, after you finish this film, I kill you, would you still finish it? And he was like, yeah. yeah. Like, that's how much this means mm. to me. Could you ask him at the time, you're gonna get dementia, you're gonna get something, but that achievement, that thing doing it is worth, you know. Yeah. I, I, I smoke a vape. Yeah. I, that's not the same as winning a World Cup, and yeah. I'm probably going to not be doing this podcast much longer <laughs> if I continue. But I choose to do it because yeah. of something that I gain out of it. Do you yeah. reckon there's an argument you could say that to those mm. people? Of course, of course. And I think deep down, most especially fighters know mm. that that when you step in the ring, mm. that's a deal with the devil. You know that you could come out. It doesn't matter how good a fighter you are. Like it's before your time, there was a fighter called Michael Watson who was a brilliant middleweight, and he went in against Eubank. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, I know this story. Yeah, know, yeah. yeah, and he was he was he was beating Eubank because and Eubank hit him with one punch, and what Michael Watson's life was changed forever, and he was disabled for the rest of his life. That's you know that the moment you step in the ring, you know that and you understand that. But for a certain type of man. The rewards are so great that, and th and if that is what you want, and if that is what you seek, then do we really have the right to stand in the way? Yeah, I I I, I do think that with fighting is I'm like I almost feel like now with the amount of level of the CTE stuff that people know and is common with, you understand that going into it. Yeah, that you you know, when people didn't know. Mm. But I get you didn't have to be fucking Einstein to work out that probably being punched in the face every night yeah. <laughs> wasn't well, gonna wasn't gonna lead to a lasting life. A lot of focus on the individuals. There are a lot of, you know, the organizations, there's a lot yeah. of money behind these things and you wonder on on their side how much pressure is is put on to maybe, I don't know, turn over and fight again when you're not maybe feeling too good. It's a big problem in the UFC because like of the because of the fighter pay as well. Some of them are running <coughs> on fifteen thousand a fight. Really? Yeah. And that's that's before taxes and uh, training camp, training camp, and probably agent cut. So you'd wonder how many players like so when it comes to stuff when they're not feeling right, they keep quiet about it because they're like, you know what, I go, you know. Mm. Yeah, and it's also as well the danger comes when you know you you start to become more susceptible to getting knocked out because normally it happens you get knocked out for the first time and then you become more susceptible and that's that what is that that's a sign of brain damage mm. there's a rugby player a very talented rugby player again in the England team called Lewis Moody and people were saying like by the end of Lewis Moody's career you could just practically just tap him on the head and he'd be out fuck yeah, that's no. not good yeah so and the problem comes is when you've been a fighter all your life that's all you can really do at that point you know you're on the way down but you need the money mm. and you know you're not right and you know there's something wrong yeah. and you still got to get in that ring and you know that there's going to, you know, let's say you're a boxer and you were once great. Yeah. That you could be going in a ring against a future 19-year-old Tyson. 
that's only going to end one way. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched a, 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 I like Mike Tyson's podcast, and he had an interview yeah. with uh, Vander Holyfield, who's here yeah. a bit off, and I thought this is going to be really interesting. Evander Holyfield has been hit one too many times. (laughs) (laughs) You click on it and you're like, okay, I'm going to... Yeah, you're going to back out of this one. um, But yeah, you could... um, I do think that is the sort of deal they make. Have you spoke to people on trigonometry about like the, you know, I imagine like... We've got Dan Hardy coming on next week. Really? Yeah, so... Dan. Fighter. Okay. Yeah, so we've got the uh, MMA fighter. So we've got Dan Hardy coming on next week. So I'm I'm going to be having this conversation with Dan. I think this is an interesting conversation to be having. Yeah, it is. It's a huge thing within the sports. At the well, within the sport, they they're gonna in football. I reckon in 15 years you won't be allowed to head the ball. Yeah. They'll get that out of there. They're not going to allow that anymore. That's going to be a thing of the past. They already don't allow it in like you. It has to be like 12 plus for you mm. to be able to head the ball. Because they're like going, they're working out all these footballers are getting dementia. Because they headed a ball, you know, yeah, at like insane the, the neck power that they throw yeah. into it, and they jump in front of a shot and stuff. You know that can't be. But again, it's like, into, I want to watch it. I want to watch yeah. it. I yeah. know <laughs> I, that's that's the problem. Like, I don't really know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I clear the fucking ball. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I want, I want us to win the World Cup more than I want you to know the faces of your kids. <laughs> that's, that's the dilemma. <laughs> but it's true. I'm being honest. Yeah. And you know like, what? Chris Benoit was entertaining. <laughs> he was a good wrestler. Wikipedia that the other day. I was so fucked up. Yeah, that's yeah. really fucked up. Yeah. But, but um, but yeah. Sorry, sorry. You. No, no. And I, like, I was gonna say, but that the reason that's funny is because it's honest. Yeah. It's honest, and you know what? If you look at those footballers, you know, particularly the ones who you know who are you are better in the air, and you said to them, like, take someone like I, I don't know, like Wilfred Zaha, Fulton Heath. Yeah. You know, Fraunevers, you know, I used to live near there. It's a tough, tough part of the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What would Wilfred be doing now if he wasn't doing foot, playing football? Mm, yeah. He's already so angry. Yeah. <laughs> he's, so angry, man. yeah. he's got the neck tattoo, man. Do you know what I mean? The neck tattoo is just instant anger. But... You but, ever watch a Crystal Palace game and just like I seen one like he's so fucking angry when he takes eyes. He wants to be it, like the fans have to tell him to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just the foot and ethan him, man. It's, it's it's just that area is just that's the last bit that we're waiting for it to be gentrified. They've done Crystal <laughs> Palace, they're doing South Norwood, and we're like, come on, foot and ethan. <laughs> no, it's never gonna happen, man. <laughs> we, we do have to wrap up in yeah. a bit, yeah. but um, I don't know what I want to ask you now. Who's, your, who's been the best guest you had so far? It's got to be Burr, right? Burr is look. I, I'll be honest with you, man. Like meeting Burr, yeah. I was a fangirl. Well, yeah. yeah. He turned up in a black Ford Mustang. <laughs> Great. Walked in. How you doing? Yeah. I'm like, that's what I want. Yeah. That's what I want from Bill fucking Burr. I want him to turn up in a Ford Mustang. And those Patrice stories, man. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. I, you know? I met him once very briefly yeah. in Edinburgh, and uh, he'd, he'd been just in Edinburgh. And it was just I was out having a smoke, and he was there, and I was like. I might not get a meet Bill Burr again. Yeah. So I just went up. I was like, look, man. And I was in like the artist bar. I was yeah. like, uh, nice to meet you. Like, uh, I'm just a big fan. The reason I got into co- one of the people who've inspired me most in comedy. Yeah. And he went like, how old are you? I was like 19. And he went, 
man, I hope we do a show together one day. Aye. And then I walked away out of like, I went, thank you, man. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Yeah. I've always had in my head, I'd love to meet him and go, hey, do you remember? And he'd be like, oh, you're that annoying fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But that's amazing that he just turned up and was like, yeah. he was fucking it, cool. Is it really hard to keep your cool in front of some of these people? It's sometimes, uh, Bill Burr it was. Bill yeah. Burr it was. It was with Burr. Um, Rogan was more surreal than anything yeah, else. He's like so famous. Like, yeah. It's that is, is like, yeah, it's so weird. It's like, yeah. it'd be like meeting like, almost like Tom Cruise or something. You'd yeah. Go, like you see them, you see them do something like put a kettle on. You'd be like, I didn't know you did that. Yeah. Like, you couldn't imagine them doing something normal. Like, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like Joe Rogan uses reading glasses. Mm. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. like, Joe, don't do that, yeah. man. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Don't, don't yeah. be a human. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like seeing the stripper pick up her kids, man. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. It's just killing the, the image. Illusion has been ruined. Yeah, yeah. Illusion has been. But I like. I tell you what. The one who impressed me the most out of practically everyone that I've met is, and there have been lots of people who've impressed me, but the one who's probably impressed me the most, there's two people. One was Sam Harris. I don't know if you know Sam. I, I'm a big fan of Sam yeah. Harris. I used to love him on Twitter. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving to <laughs> Everyone does that. One of my best mates, every time I see him, he's like, uh, thanks for ruining Sam Harris for me, Francis. But he's just a really good guy. He he's seems a, really cool. He's a really good guy. We, there was, we were having serious tech problems Um and we were setting up for him, and he's one of our biggest ever guests. And our producer, like, you could just see, like, he just went white, and there was sweat dripping, and he'd been trying to fix it for an hour, and he was just like, man, I, I can't, I can't. Look, we're just going to have to do it. Mm. And Sam just went, take your time. I've booked the entire afternoon off. It's going to be fine. Sort it out. And he did some weird Jedi mind stuff. In five minutes, it worked perfectly. We did it. And he was chatting with us for about half an hour before talking about how much he loves comedy. And he gave us about two and a half hours of his time. Wow. I love that. It, it is to be expected from him a little bit. Though. I'd yeah. hate to see Sam Harrison, like someone's fucking up with tech. Mm. And he goes, listen, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> sort it out. Now, like, you'd be a bit like, whoa, 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 dude. You need to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chill out. You're the guy on my app who tells me to chill out. <laughs> you can't. And yeah. the other person is Theo Vaughn. Theo yeah, Vaughn. I met, I met Theo Vaughn once as well. I was yeah. opening for him. Um... Oh, did you own for fear? Yeah, my, my, my girlfriend Darcy is going to hate me telling this story. Um, we were like very new in our relationship. We've been going out for four months. I'm a massive Fear Von fan, yeah. as is she. I got like the message to open for him. But I was just put there as the opener that he was given. There was no like. Yeah, and yeah. he brought his other uh, funny lad called Ari Manis. So I kind of had to go on, do 10 minutes, bring Ari on, break, do five minutes, mm. bring Fear. Yeah. So I was kind of an MC at like mm. yeah. massive gig. Yeah. I turned up with my girlfriend. I got there. I was like, hey, have you guys... I messaged in the day. Have you guys got a ticket for my girlfriend? They were like, yeah. There was someone at this venue then just took us up and put us both in the green room yeah. before, like, with Theo and Ari. I don't know Theo and uh, yeah. uh, Ari, but at least I'm a comic. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I, I like, could feel there was a little bit of the, like... Why is this comic just bringing his girlfriend yeah, in here? Yeah. And they actually really got on. Everything yeah. was fine. But you know that <laughs> thing of like someone bringing someone into. First of all, I probably should be in a separate green room anyway. Yeah. 
because I don't know these guys. They yeah. probably want their own space. Yeah. But then to be seen bringing someone else into the green room yeah. as well, pre-show. Yeah. Not nothing. My girlfriend didn't do anything to embarrass herself yeah. or anything like that. She actually really got on with Theo. But I could just feel this little bit of like, I hope I can meet him again so I can one day go, hey, by the <laughs> way, man, I didn't like, oh, me meeting my heroes needs me meeting them a second time yeah. to explain <laughs> the, the first meeting. You know that thing? Yeah, to yeah, just yeah. go, I didn't bring us in there to, I, I wasn't trying to hang out with you guys yeah. before a show. Like, yeah. Completely, I. T but the thing that impressed me about Theo is, uh, on stage, I think he's the most naturally talented comedian mm. I've ever seen. I've never seen someone like that. I saw him at Rogan's Club, on a stool in front of three hundred pissed up rowdy people, and he ripped it from beginning really? to end. Ripped it yeah. while sitting on a stool and talking. Mm. I've never seen anyone do that. I've yeah. seen lots of people try. Yeah. yeah, you know, I've never seen anyone do that. And as well, he was—he's super sound, yeah. very humble, very down to earth, really nice dude. Last question: Who's your dream guest, and why is it Joe Biden? Yeah, it'd be good. You do do the interview where he just dies in front of us. <laughs> Twelve million views, Joe. <laughs> Man, you would want to be the podcast that yeah, has Joe yeah, Biden. Yeah, yeah. Die. Every time that clip shared, your little thumbnails in the corner, guy. Yeah. We did it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All-time favorite guest that I'd love to do. There's a couple. Uh, Chris Rock because he doesn't seem to be do doesn't seem to do podcasts. Mm. Yeah, uh, but probably Chappelle. Oh, yeah, fuck. of course. I of course. I don't think there's anyone I I would like. I, I think Chappelle would be a gr for. Uh, like, I'm just thinking of myself here. Chappelle would be great until I had to do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. until I'm sat there and just going, what the fuck am I going to say yes. to you, man? Oh. Like you know that. But you've got to remember as well. Like I had that exact same thing when I was interviewing Burr, and and then you just go. He's just a dude. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's just a dude. Once you get all the way past it, like I remember, like we, when I was chatting with him, I was. It felt like on as a first date. Don't say anything stupid. Don't yeah. say anything stupid. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then we just he was we were just talking about like like the music that he meditates to and when he took mushrooms. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you just go. He, he's just a fucking bloke. Do you know? And yeah. he's either sound with it or he's not. Yeah. And if he's not sound with it, then find another topic. You know. Yeah. Exactly. And it's fine. Yeah, there, there was another comedian who interviewed him on a podcast, a British podcast thing, and they, uh, I like this podcast, well, I won't say it is, but uh, they got a bit pressy with like some issues with Burr, and you could literally like- Oh, Stu Goldsmith. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> <we are>. uh, <laughs> You could literally feel Burr being like, dude, I, I, I fucking answered, like you could see him like getting yeah, mad, and you're yeah. like, don't do this to Bill. Yeah. <laughs> like he seems like, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. This is, but uh, Francis, man, man, thank you for your time, and thank no, you for coming pleasure. in, man. And like, you know, like, um, thank you so much for doing this. No, it's a pleasure, man. And thank you. And look, guys, you've got a great podcast. Keep doing what you're fucking doing. Keep building your audience. Like the we more you build your audience, the more we build our audiences. You know, everybody pulls it together because we need to start our own scene just like they do in America. Yeah. And we need to get out of the mindset that we have to rely on agents, that we rely on industry. We create our own opportunities. I'm going to raid your contact list for philosophers. Our dream guest is Slavok Zizek. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. We, yeah. I'd love Slavok Zizek. No, we haven't had him. We're gonna, oh, well, hopefully, right. we'll get him on I'd soon. Lo I'd love to get Slavok Zizek just to... 
sit in front of a philosopher, one of uh, my favourite philosophers, and then realise very quickly the mistake he's made <laughs> coming on a podcast where we don't really understand philosophy at all. Yeah. Um, but thank you, guys. Uh, sign up to the Patreon if you enjoyed the episode. We're going to be... We've got some extra episodes coming about. We're both in America, so I don't know. By the time you hear this... We're, we're, we're away we're on holiday so you know what I mean no yeah. man just say you're going for work it sounds better <laughs> yeah. going for work. we're going, yeah, for work. Yeah, we're going yeah. global we're yeah. going for work we're going on Rogan we're not invited <laughs> we're turning up John John mate <laughs> uh, but thank you very much I've been at it still Michael Odawale um, right. no there we go fucked up the beginning and then <laughs> oh man that was amazing man